I did not realize that I knew the pilot until after we had actually extricated the pilot. From Boston 25 News, this is First on Scene, a podcast about the people who run toward danger, about those who become heroes in our darkest hour. Thanks so much for joining us for First on Scene. You know, today's episode is a little different than our previous episodes. Usually we bring you the stories of first responders and the outcomes are celebrated. The situation we're going to talk about here today was very unique in many ways, and we're going to get into that for a number of reasons. But joining me here in the podcast studio is the Deputy Chief from the Hanson Fire Department, Rob O'Brien. Thanks so much for joining me here Thank today. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks for having it. me. Appreciate the work you do. So we're going to talk about a call you got back in August. It was August 24th. Do you remember that day? Yep, I remember that day. What do you remember yes. about that day before the call that we're going to talk about? What do you remember about that day? Um, my family was getting ready to go up to Maine for the weekend. We go up to Old Orchard Beach uh, every weekend. And I was puttering around the house. There was a bunch of stuff I needed to do, go to Lowe's, go to Home Depot, things like that. But something kind of held me at home. And I kept debating, oh, maybe I'll go jump in the swimming pool or something like that. Um, but something kept me in town that day. Hmm. And couldn't tell you, you know, could, couldn't explain why, but stayed in town that day. Sure. Um, you all that day got a pretty wild call. It was a plane that had crashed, right? That's correct. What time of day was that? Do you remember? Um, it was in the later afternoon, around 4 o'clock. Um, I heard the radio go off with our engine signing on for a reported plane crash. Um, at the same time, I was, I was putting on my boots and running out the door. I get a phone call from our dispatcher saying that the lieutenant wanted me to be aware that there was a crash at the Cranland Airport. And this had happened right near that airport, right? Yeah, right at the southern end of the runway. And when you hear something like that as a first responder, when you hear a possible plane crash, what do you think instantly? Um, you hope everybody's okay. And it's something that fortunately we have not run into a lot. We've had a couple of previous accidents in the last 20 years um, at the airport, but it's it's all small planes that are there, and it's a, it's a quiet airport as far as first responders go. So... As this was this call was playing out, we covered the story here at Boston 25 News on television, like any other breaking story. And we want you to listen to hear how that story initially played out. And this is how we covered it initially on television. I'm Carrie Cavanaugh. Vanessa Welch has the night off. That plane went down near Cranland Airport just before we went on the air at 4 o'clock this afternoon. And that's where Boston 25 News reporter Alicia Rodriguez arrived moments ago. Alicia, that plane had a serious, some serious front end damage. Yes, now local law enforcement here as well as state police are getting ready to hand this investigation over to the FAA. We're at the entrance of Cranland Airport. As you said, this crash happened around 4 this afternoon, not far from this airport. Sky 25 was over the scene shortly after the crash happened. It was a single engine plane. You can see damage to that plane and where it ended up, sort of a muddy area, not far again from the southern part of the airport. Now, two people were on the plane at the time. Now, sources told us us that one person was conscious when rescue crews arrived. The other was not. It did take rescuers some time to get to the second person who was trapped in the plane. They used hydraulic equipment to try and free that person to get that person out. We've been told another pilot actually rushed to the scene to try and help rescue them as well. Medical helicopters took both people away with serious injuries. One was taken to Tufts, the other to Mass General. State police again have taken over the investigation but are preparing to work with the FAA 
FAA. Officials from the FAA are here now. We're continuing to monitor the investigation. We'll have the latest for you as soon as we can. Reporting live in hand. So you just heard Rodriguez. that report. Initially, as we reported, two people were hurt. This turned out to be much more serious. So take me back to you responding to it. So as I'm responding to the call, I'm probably from my house three minutes from the airport. Um, police department was arriving simultaneously as I was, and it's set up near Cranberry Bog, so it's a dirt road that you go in on. Um, so I went towards the middle of the runway because we didn't know where the plane had gone down. But you knew it was a confirmed plane crash. We knew it was a confirmed plane crash. Because I know sometimes you get reports of a plane crash and it doesn't turn out to be the Right, case. that's correct. And I, I had radioed ahead of time to um, the lieutenant on the engine just asking her what did she have for reports. And she had told me that there were reports of a plane crash, um, that there were injuries um, from it. Um, so when we arrived, one of the police officers found the uh, crash at the southern end of the runway. Um, in a, at the edge of a pond in a uh, difficult area to access. So you got closer to the scene? Yes. At that point? Yep, yep. And, and what was going through your mind at that point? Um, as I was approaching up to the scene, one of the police officers said that the plane was in the water. Um, so at that point, I immediately asked our dispatcher to activate Plymouth County Technical Rescue Team um, for their dive component, because I did not know at that point if the plane was sitting in the water or if it had actually gone underwater. Um, so we'd activated for the technical rescue team. I had asked for um, additional ambulances. Um, and then once we got to the site, it was the difficulty of accessing the site. It was all overgrown brush. Uh, so myself and, and two other police officers started to make our way in. And a bystander, you, at that point, we could see where the tail of the plane was. Um, and that's all we could see was just the tail of the plane at that, at that po point. At that point, was it just any other plane crash? At that point, it was. Um, I knew the plane living near the airport. We had, we had seen that plane. Um, so I was familiar with, with, the, with the plane itself, having seen it. Um, they do the fly-ins there the, uh, once a month. Sure. So we had seen the plane there before. Um, but, yeah, at that point, it was just okay. It, it, the plane had gone down and right yeah at what point did you realize um this wasn't just another call um i did not realize that i knew the pilot until after we had actually extricated the pilot i think um when, when i got down to the scene um the passenger in back was conscious um he was saying he couldn't feel anything from the waist down um, so I spoke with him for a quick moment. Then I assessed the pilot, and I think at that point your brain almost protects you because mm -hmm. I did not recognize him at all. Um, as the crews arrived, they came down, um, and we, we determined that because of the wreckage, we need to extricate the, uh, the passenger and back first so that then we could get to the pilot. So it wasn't until after we, after we extricated him that I realized that I knew him. This pilot his name Scott Landis and we want to be respectful here because he did not survive this plane crash no and um, you knew him quite well yes yep yep he uh, my son had um, flown with him multiple times um, he 
great guy. Um, in technical rescue a few years ago, we started to bring um, aircraft into the rescue portion of it. And Scott was instrumental, um, is one of the pilots helping us to do that. We actually ran a, a big mobile exercise called Swift Response, um, where it was moving rescue personnel from the Mansfield Airport to where the mobile exercise site was to see how quickly and efficiently can we move people, can we move all the equipment and things like that. So a lot of the firefighters in the area had actually trained with him. Um, and my son, having flown with him, my son, um, since a young age, when he first got to sit in a Blackhawk at the Cranland Airport when they brought it in, then wanted to become a Blackhawk pilot mm -hmm. and still does. Um, while Scott was deployed, my son would um, text with him, FaceTime with him, things like that. So I, I can't imagine, and I would respectful you mm -hmm. too, but I can't imagine, you know, here you are, first responder responding to this. And that moment when you realize it's him. And I think that's where I was fortunate that I did not realize till literally probably 30 to 60 seconds after we got him out. One of the other firefighters reached in and found a bag um, that had his father's ashes in it. And then I reached into the pilot's seat to pull stuff out and saw Scott's name on a bag that was in there. At that point, that's when I realized who it was. You talked about the father's ashes. Yeah. Mm -hmm on board the plane were two brothers. Yes. And they were up there to spread out their father's ashes. Yes, correct. It's just heartbreaking. It was. It was. You know, from a standpoint of what you do for a living, you know, most people, when you're responding to it, you don't know these people. And correct. that helps. That's yep. got to make it easier, I got to believe. Yep. But when you know someone this closely, I can't imagine how hard that is to try to tune that out in time of crisis? I, I was fortunate with um, other people that showed up to the scene. Right. Um, guys from the technical rescue team who um, said, hey, we'll handle this for you for a second. Uh, one of the other lieutenants that showed up and said, hey, take a second and you know I'll, I'll handle because at the same time we had to deal with a hazmat incident with the gasoline on the pond. Um, and other fire chiefs and things that responded, no, even they, they knew Scott also. Um, but they said, you know something, take a second, do whatever you need to do. I made a, um, a quick phone call actually to my wife um, just so that she was aware of it and, hey, we're going to be here for a long time. Um, and then at that point, you just go back to doing what it is that we do. Um, that's one of the cons to living in the community that you work in right. there's a whole bunch of pros that go with it that yep you know you do know a lot of the people on the calls that you go to whether it's a fire call a rescue call uh an ems call um and most of the time it's okay it's it's got good outcomes that come from it um other times maybe not um one of the worst anaphylactic reactions i have ever seen in my life was my own mother she happened to call the fire station and uh, when I was a lieutenant and said I had just taken um, ibuprofen and my lips are feeling funny, you know, that kind of stuff. So I went up there with uh, the ambulance crew and I'm like, oh, you know, we'll give her a little, a little Benadryl, something like that, take her to the hospital. And as I walked in, um, the other medic who was with me looks at me and, and he knows my mother. He looks at me and goes, 
she doesn't have Joan Rivers' lips, right? I mean, her lips were blown up, her face was swelled up, and she'd actually, while we were there, had a hypoxic seizure right in front of us. Her, her anaphylactic reaction was so bad. Unfortunately, she survived it. Sure. Um, but that's, that's one of the things, being in a small town, you, you know a lot of people, which is great, but then that does become the con also um, during accidents and during some medical emergencies that you know who they are. Um, and you, you do take a while afterwards to decompress from it. Um, but on yeah, I was going to say after this, you know, did it, when did it hit you like a ton of bricks, like it hits everyone else? Um, probably about, I'm going to say about midnight or so when I got the phone call that he had passed away. Um, at that point, I notified the lieutenant on duty, hey, I'm going up to Maine because my son had heard about the accident, wanted to come home. Um, he's a sophomore in high school. So I called my wife. She's like, yeah, he's going to want to come home. So I actually made the drive from Hanson up to Old Orchard Beach, and it was during that time that it starts to hit you. Um, the fire community is a phenomenal community um, because even at midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, because making the drive to Old Orchard Beach and then driving back, phone calls from uh, people in my department, uh, other firefighters from the area, again, technical rescue guys that, that knew him also, other fire chiefs and stuff in the area, just whether it's a quick, t- and your own friends, because I've got a lot of friends in town that while they don't understand everything with the job, they do know right. when tragedy strikes that, that it's going to hit you right. just like it hits them and just first responders have to process it a little differently, sure. at least at the scene, and then afterwards is when you can really try to, to process it. Sure. I, I can, you know, talking with you before you walked here into our podcast studio, I can I can tell you're still very much bothered by this, and understandably. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm wondering what bothers you the most. Is it the fact that his influence on your own son? I think so. I, I, yeah, no, I, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and unfortunately, this was just one of those calls that everything went well during the call, that there isn't anything that we could change medically, that we could change rescue-wise or anything like that. Everybody that was there did a phenomenal job. We were able to extricate um, both of them efficiently in a good amount of time. We were able to get two med flight helicopters. On some days, it's difficult to get one med flight, and sure. we were able to get two med flight helicopters to come in. Um, there was no delay in care, bringing mutual aid ambulances and things like that. And so you want to change the outcome. The, there was nothing we could do to change the outcome. And I think that's one of the biggest things is, um, I think even for the community, anybody that knew him still has a difficult time with, with this and with the outcome from it. I mean, just a phenomenal person, couldn't say enough about him. And I think anybody that you talk to would say the same thing. It was just amazing how one person, how far their reach was. Because um, people ask about now and say, oh yeah, I had met him before. I was in the military and worked out at Westover or somewhere else and knew him. Um, but yeah, I think it's difficult for, for my family because of my son. Sure. Um, and he still, he still wants to be a pilot. He still wants That's to incredible. do it. Yeah, yeah, so. It's gonna make you proud. Yeah, it does, it does, so, yeah. You know, I know there are certain calls that you have over your career that you, you never forget. 
Is this one of those for you? Oh, absolutely. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'd say this is one of those calls that I think I think about every day. Yeah. What aspect do you think about the most? The outcome, the unfortunate outcome, and just there's there are times there's just nothing you can do. How often do you think about, you know, the first thing you told me is that something kept me there that August day? So I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason. I'm with you. Um, don't know what the, you know what the ultimate reason will be for any of what went on that day, but it was. That was one of those days that it was a newer lieutenant, so I'm like, ah, you know, but she knows what to do. She If she's sure. got a question, sure. right on the phone and asking things. But, yeah, something just held me there that day, and I, and I think that's why. I think that's why. Um, you know, we, we had some very seasoned people that were on the call, and we had a lot of newer people on the call that had never experienced or seen anything like this before. Um, you know, we'd been to a couple of smaller crashes in the past, um, but nothing of this depth, I guess, where we, you know the victim. And this may sound strange, but are you glad you were there? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad I was there. Well, I bet his family is glad you were there, too. Uh, I, I hope so. Hmm. Is there anything else that stands out about this call or its effects? Has, um, it, has it changed you? I think it has really? a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think it does. Um, as far as now, um, f- just kind of family-wise, that, that – how you know things can change. You've seen calls that you've been to before sure. where, where it's been bad outcomes. You know it better um, than anybody. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, we, we've seen it all the time. Seen it, seen it for over twenty years when, when things um, don't go the way that, that you would like it to go. Um, I think it's brought my son and I closer together. Um, you know, which is kind of odd for a high schooler. You know, fifteen years old going on thirty-five and sure. full of attitude and things. But it does. <laughs> it does. Uh, you know, he and I've he and I have talked about it. Um, I think he and I talk about it a little bit more than um, he talks to my wife about it. Mm. So um, there's a little bit of understanding because he's going through the same pain that I'm going through that other people are going through with it. The importance of living in the community, it, it's, it's good and bad yes. from your standpoint. Yes. So um, I consider myself to be very active in the community. Um, I'm on the, the, the school committee in town and active with baseball and, and Boy Scouts and different organizations and stuff in town and I grew up in town so I, I grew up my parents still live in town my sister still lives in town I was fortunate enough that when I got married my wife agreed to move to town so you do you know a lot of people and you know a lot of the inside stuff that goes on ta- in town which um, can be a, a really great yes. thing <laughs> yeah, it can go either way it can go either way for you absolutely um, but that's the thing is is when you first started out in the fire service, you'd know some of the people, but as you get older, so don't your parents, your friends' parents and things like that. And so you start to see more of, um, on medicals and stuff, people that you know, that you grew up with their kids or went to school with their kids or had them as a teacher or, or something like that, or just know them from being around in town. And usually um, that's not a big deal because you, you, you help someone yeah, out. Yeah, correct. And, They'll right. never forget that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, uh, 
you know, but that that is the thing. And then then sometimes, unfortunately, when a person passes away or um, something tragic happens with them, that is the con because you know them. And there's that little personal piece that's that's there that uh, that bothers you a little bit, a little bit more than the than the um, than I think it would if I lived in another community and just came to work in Hanson, did my did my work there, and then left. And you know, you might know some of the people in town, but not like you do when you grew up in the town, live in the town, and, and active in the town. Yeah, it might be a little easier yeah. in another town Yeah, from that standpoint. Yeah, from, the, from that standpoint. But I, I, en- I enjoy it, and, I, and again, it's pros and cons. Um, I think for a firefighter versus a police officer, it's a massive difference whether you live and work sure. in the same town. Um, but it's something I would encourage. Um, because I think having that personal peace, sometimes with the uh, patient, um, sometimes it yeah, it, it, it goes, it does go a long way. Because sometimes there's some levity to it that, oh, you have chest pain going on. Oh, you gave me chest pain, you know, when you were my student in sixth grade, you know, something like that. Sure. Um, so the, there's there's some stuff that goes with it with having that personal touch with the with the um, patient, or with uh, whoever it might be that you're servicing at a house lockout or an auto lockout or. Or things like that, um, and I, I think they appreciate that that it's a familiar face, it's somebody they know during a time of crisis for them, because if they're calling nine one one, they're having a bad day, they're having a bad day, so and having a familiar face I think helps them with that. Sure. Well, I I can't thank you enough for coming in here, because um, I know this stuff's not easy to talk about, and most people who are sitting in the studio who come in here. Usually at this point in the podcast, we're talking about the person who survived mm-hmm. and the celebration of it. And that, unfortunately, doesn't always happen in your line of work, does it? No. No, it doesn't. And, and it's a harsh reality, but it's an important one because you all are humans, too. And, you know, nothing illustrates it more than a call like this, does mm-hmm. it? No, nothing does. No. I mean, unfortunately, calls like this do bring the community together. Um, and it is an unfortunate reality in our job. Well, hopefully it's something you won't ever have to face again. No, hopefully not. <laughs> How long have <laughs> you been doing this? Um, I've been with the Hanson Fire Department since 1997. Well, we appreciate your work. Uh, Deputy Chief Rob O'Brien with the Hanson Fire Department, thanks so much for coming in here. Thank you for being there that day. I know I'm sure the family has found that invaluable. And um, I'm sure your son is very proud of you as well. Thank you. So thank you so much. Rob O'Brien with Hanson Fire Department. We'll see you next time for First on Scene. First on Scene is a production of Boston 25 News. It's hosted by me, Blair Miller. This episode was produced by Mike Ciccone and edited by Dalton Main. Music is provided by Killer Tracks. Special thanks this episode to Rob O'Brien and Jerry Thompson. And thanks to the first responders who serve their own communities. You can read more about these stories at boston25.com slash firstonscene. And please let us know what you think of the show. You can send us an email to firstonscene at boston25.com. Or you can rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.